Welcome to the Cab Appropriate Podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Harvey. This song don't give a damn. If the rhymes don't fit with the DJ, quit. This song don't give a damn. You can't sing or dance to it, can't romance to it. This song ain't arrogant. If you don't try and buy it, or if your radio denies it, don't care about what, who got, what's cool on TV, or what spots hot, I forgot. I ain't mad at evolution. Hi team, welcome to the Cab Appropriate Podcast where I talk to inspiring people in health, fitness, nutrition, business and the creative arts who are doing interesting things to improve performance and maximize human potential. Uh, today I'm speaking to Paul Cadman, a nutrition and performance coach special, specializing in maximizing endurance performance. Now I, I met Paul originally through, um, through the whole Performance Institute. Uh, Paul was studying at Massey University doing postgrad in nutrition and wanted to finish off or do some extra stuff with us uh, at the Holistic Performance Institute in our grad cert and nutrition program. Uh, I was pretty impressed basically as soon as I met Paul. Uh, he was a pretty intense dude. Uh, he's obviously here and listening so this is kind of awkward for him but a pretty intense dude but I was very impressed by his his background which I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, in business and, and his approach to nutrition coaching and endurance coaching. So I uh, went on to be one of our best students and is now, you know, becoming a real mover in the endurance space. So um, welcome along, Paul. Cheers, folks. Great to be here, mate. And uh, it's good to be talking. So yeah, it's a great opportunity to have a yak for, for 20 or 30 minutes about the um, the work I'm doing and especially the, the uh, interesting stuff that I'm experimenting with on myself, I, I guess. Uh, N equals one is is pretty uh, pretty interesting for me to be fair and um, yeah it's uh, it's a constantly moving beast and I'm always uh, always looking to try new stuff I guess to to see uh, see how I can progress and develop as a, a coach especially I guess yeah yeah and I mean that that's why you know I I really want to talk to you because whenever we get together and have a chat you're always doing something interesting so I thought people need to need to know about this. Um, so t tell us a little bit about your background, you know, how did you get to, to this place where you're now working as uh, not just an endurance coach, but as an endurance performance and nutrition coach? Yeah, well, I get, look, Cliff, I, um, I've got a long and storied um, background, I guess, probably. I used to, when I was a, a teenager and in my early 20s, I was a, a reasonable uh, football player and, and went offshore and, and played a little bit in the UK. Um, and then ultimately came back to New Zealand, uh, did uh, BDS in sport management and, and started to go down the sport track, I guess. Um, after I, I qualified, I went back to the UK and, and did another five or six years travel. And at that point in time, uh, I started to move away from football. Um, and uh, as a lot of us do, we sort of uh, live, live the high life, I suppose. <laughs> um, enjoyed getting out and, uh, and, and seeing the nightlife in, in London and, and around and about. So I guess my um, sporting prowess uh, slipped a little bit for, for a few years there and then came back to New Zealand at that point in time in corporates for three or four years in the U.S. New Zealand, uh, straight back into corporate life here. Uh, as an accountably, so that was a bit of a uh, went down here and had a look at a mate racing. Uh, fuse was lit, I suppose, for the endurance sports side of things, um, and decided that year after a, a couple of line reads on the sideline that I'd give it a crack the next year. Uh, so that was a, the start of the endurance uh, journey, I suppose, for me. Um, and 12 months after watching my first Ironman, I, I competed and got through it, which was pretty good fun and a, a bloody a bloody good challenge. Um, having known nothing about nutrition at that point in time either, so 
I look back now and think about scoffing down 14 wheat bits for breakfast, and I, I do, do shudder a little bit, to be fair. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that was probably 10 or 12 years for me of uh, endurance sport until uh, the body uh, broke down a little bit. And then towards the end of that was when I really started to get interested in nutrition, to be honest. Um, and all the, all the way along, I was, I was still in corporate. I was, I was working for Lime, uh, the brewery at the time. Um, so, you know, it was, it was interesting for me, but uh, I definitely then started to uh, become more and more interested in the role that nutrition played in my sport, um, but also how that uh, went with day-to-day -day life. Um, so, you know, three, three odd years ago now, I, I took redundancy at Lion and my, uh, my wife, who's very supportive, suggested that I kind of follow the dream, if you like, um, which was great, you know, uh, lucky enough to be in the position to do that. So I, um, like you said, started my uh, formal nutrition study at Massey, I guess, um, and just found that to be uh, not, um, keeping pace with modern day, if you like, um, enough for me, I suppose. And whenever I tried to, to challenge, um, couldn't really have a, a, a good conversation around my ideas. Um, mm. And that's when I was introduced to, to you and, and your Learning Institute and found that uh, really engaging, to be fair. And look, I mean, one of the real uh, positives for me and one of the attractions was uh, your openness to conversation and challenge around what's actually going on here and now, as opposed to what was happening 40 years ago. Um, so, I mean, and that's really, at that point in time, did spark my uh, interest in doing some um, self-experimentation, I suppose, and trying to figure out for myself what worked and what didn't. Um, you know, it's, uh, it really, uh, working with Joe McQuillan um, when I did some writing in Australia really piqued my interest, I suppose, because they were long races that really did need some alternative fueling strategies to get through these long sort of full day bike races. Um, and that's when I started to look at LCHF um, and during training and racing nutrition in a different light, I suppose, um, which segued in really nicely to my to my study. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, interesting you mentioned Joe because I think, and for people who don't know him, Joe McQuillan is a lecturer, a senior lecturer down at Waikato University now. He was previously the um, uh, a lecturer at AUT University and did most of the sports lab sort of stuff up there. But I think Joe is actually the unsung hero of uh, lower carbon nutrition, uh, sorry, in New Zealand, because it was really a lot of the stuff that he was seeing in athletes led other academics to start looking into low carb. And I think yeah. from, from what I've heard, he was the first guy to say to a lot of the academics up there that, hey, well, we're seeing this in athletes. Surely this has got an application for diabetes and obesity, right? And then that's, right. that's when they clicked. And so that's when, um, you know, Karen Zinn and Grant Schofield and those uh, those people up there that I work with now, they they really started to look a lot more into this. But I think Joe was ahead of the curve. So um, he's a bit of an unsung hero, but he's done some great work yeah. in that space. Oh, yeah. Um, he, he, he was definitely really interesting to me. And, had, I mean, his, like to say, his thoughts, uh, was ahead of the curve from what I could tell. Um, and, you know, I, I was right at the start myself. Um, I've been experimenting on myself, doing weird stuff for a while, trying to figure out what works. But Joe had some really interesting thoughts. And, uh, you know, he threw me in the lab there a few times doing some pretty interesting stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like I say, I think he was definitely ahead of the curve at the time. Yeah, so t tell me about that, that journey now. I mean, um You've obviously been doing, and I love how you talk about self-experimentation and N of one stuff because that that's often a little bit derided in academia in particular. People say, oh, well, that's just N of one. But yeah. N of one is two things, I think. It's it's where things start because, you know, the, the person you can experiment on most is yourself, obviously. Yeah. 
Yep. And it's also critically important for the individual. You know, while we must start with best practice, best practice isn't going to work 100% for any given individual. So we need to actually start to figure out what works best for someone. I mean, you know, when I was starting out in this field 20 years ago, that's a lot of what we did was, you know, I read about the ketogenic diet in 1996, and that's when I tried it. And I thought, this is weird. This is crazy. But I'm, I'm going to give it a crack and everyone else thought I was nuts, but you know, you learn so much by doing it. So tell us about some of the, the cool and interesting things you've been doing with, with mixed fueling. Cause that fascinates me. Um, what you've been doing. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, no. And look, I mean, this is the interesting, uh, one of the interesting pieces in amongst all this clip, cause you don't have to ask permission to experiment on yourself, obviously. So you can do what you want, basically. Exactly. Um, I think so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, and this mixed fueling thing is, is a real, um, a really interesting space for me. And I think there's a, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, research we can do on ourselves, like you say, because we, we do have to understand what's right for the individual. Uh, so what's right for me isn't going to be right for you, but it will help me to understand and build the picture to actually uh, trial with my clients what could work. Um, you know, I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, I, I am super interested at, at the moment uh, in terms of using ketones as a exogenous uh, source. Um, I, I, I like the product Superstar, so I think that has real benefit. Um, but I also know for me, I do need um, some real food when I race and train long. Um, and I also do need, um, I do need carbohydrate as well um, because I, uh, I do burn carbohydrate. I'm not, uh, I'm not on a ketogenic diet. Um, so for me, trying to figure out the optimum mix is the interesting piece. Um, so, you know, I, I did a mountain bike race uh, a few months ago now, and I used that. It was a 125k race. Uh, took me about six and a half hours, I think it was, from memory. Um, and I used that as an opportunity just to trial some things, you know. Um, yeah. Leading up to it, uh, I did a couple of rides with some mates down Coromandel, and for those that know the Coromandel, it's, it's pretty lumpy, and if you're riding a <laughs> mountain bike, it takes a while to get around. Um, you know, the first uh, first experiment, if you like, that I tried down there, I, I piled four sachets of um, Keto OS into a bottle with two sachets of Superstarch. So there's, what's that, 50 grams of beta-hydroxybutyrate maybe and probably 50 grams of, of carbohydrate potentially all up. Um, and we were going for a, a five-hour ride, so that was my fuel for the five hours. Um, you know, I, I got to um, I got to probably four hours in reasonable shape, but after that, I I started to battle a little bit. Um, but the interesting thing in that particular ride for me was that when I got to the last hour, I actually came right. Um, so you know, I went through a patch where it wasn't great, but I I bounced back. So um, it does tell that did start to tell me that this mixed fueling for me had potential. I had, by the way, I took no real food or no uh, carbohydrate by way of gel or anything like that on that ride. So my entire carbohydrate intake for five hours was probably 50 grams maybe. Yeah. So not a great deal. Uh, and the intensity was high. It wasn't like it was a, uh, a tourist ride. Um, so, you know, uh, 50 grams of beta-hydroxybutyrate, so 10 grams an hour. Not not unreasonable, um, but I did then read a piece of research that said up to 20 grams of beta hydroxybutyrate uh, was manageable, um, and then you know that sort of spun the wheels for me a little bit, I guess. Um, and I do like to push the limits and, and see what happens because the only way you're going to find out is by giving it a crack, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, we went back down to Coromandel for another ride, another training ride, uh, six hours this time. So I kind of thought, well, why don't I double uh, the amount of beta hydroxybutyrate? Because in theory, I should be able to handle it and process it. 
Um, I put a sachet of super starch in there, so 20 grams, 25 grams of uh, carbohydrates. And then I also did this time uh, take some um, other forms of carbohydrate by way of uh, gel and flipper, um, just in case. Uh, so my plan on that ride was to ride it at a tempo pace, so I did know that I'd be burning a lot of uh, carbohydrate because um, you know I was, I was living in a, a higher intensity zone. Yeah. Um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't try the taste profile of the ketones uh, before the ride, which is probably a mistake, to be fair. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I also, I, I'm also a firm believer in uh, sodium freeloading um, for longer events or, or in hotter environments. So my standard approach to sodium preloading would be 750 megs uh, the night before and then 750 megs the morning of a training session or race. Uh, but in this particular ride, I decided I'd put 2,000 megs in uh, about an hour before we started. Um, so that was a change as well. And it did have a, an unwanted uh, side effect, I suppose you could say. Um, I guess it would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a decent sodium flush going on there. So, I mean, I uh, went into that ride in not great shape, it's fair to say, after the, the incident with the sodium preload. So I quickly figured out that 2,000 megs for me was probably not the way forward. Um, I, I jumped on the bike. It was a good hill to start with, probably a 40-minute climb. About halfway up that, I thought I'd start taking uh, my ketones. Took one sip of the bottle and just could not stomach uh, the taste profile. So literally was just too intense. Um, yeah, so problems obviously there. I've got, I didn't want to use my carbohydrates for the first sort of two or three hours of the ride if I could help it. So I just belligerently went on riding at a tempo pace uh, for probably two or three hours. Um, and got to the turnaround point, still hadn't touched my ketones because I couldn't drink it. It was it just tasted like rubbish. Um, Pretty much just emptied half of my bottle into the stream um, to try and get myself back to a state where I could actually drink this stuff. Um, so that kind of uh, paid dividends because I could then at least drink it. Um, but the last three hours of that ride were just complete misery. If I'm really honest, it probably took me an hour and a half to get back to anywhere near where I wanted to be. Um, and then the yeah the last hour or two was just a, a complete grovel. Um, so you know the learnings for me out of that taste profile massive, and we probably knew that already. Um, you know, could I have taken um, ninety odd grams of beta hydroxybutyrate in six odd hours? I don't know the answer to that question because I just couldn't couldn't drink it. Um, and then yeah, I did uh, use all my carbohydrate, so probably 120-odd grams, uh, basically in two hours, just to try and get myself back to some sort of position where I could ride a bike. Um, so, I mean, what I learned from it, you know, beta-hydroxybutyrate for me, the jury's still out a little bit in terms of where the benefit comes. I uh, am leaning... Uh, a long way towards the fact that it's a, it plays a massive role in maintaining your cognitive function. Um, so, I mean, I uh, think when I reflect on, you know, when I've used beta-hydroxybutyrate, uh, I am that much more alert. Um, so my cognitive function is much more heightened than when I would go with a uh, traditional fueling strategy, I suppose you could say. Yeah. Um, and that's backed up by a couple of the athletes who I coach that used uh, have used it as well, and they have said, well, two of them are tennis players on the circuit, and uh, one competed at coast to coast last year, which is these events, right? Um, the tennis players, as soon as they used uh, beta hydroxybutyrate, the coach rang me and asked me if it was legal because they. <laughs> Seriously, 
Wow. He, he said their gameplay and their ability to hit the big points was just amplified uh, so much compared to their normal match play. What the, the stuff had to be illegal, you know, it had to be on the band list. Um, so that was one uh, piece of feedback that was really positive in terms of this cognitive piece. Um, and uh, the, the guy I coached who did coast to coast was of a similar opinion. So he, he said, when I was in the kayak, I could uh, think much more clearly than I have been able to do previously. Um, so for me, the cognitive piece is massive with this beta hydroxybutyrate. Um, I also think that the majority of um, age group athletes will respond better to a train low race high approach. So there is still a need um, for carbohydrate supplementation for the vast majority of the uh, endurance um, you know, uh, athlete population because they do uh, live at intensity some of the time that does um, burn a lot of glycogen. Um, and, you know, uh, unless you're Dan Plews or someone like that, the chances are you're going to have to supplement with carbohydrate during an endurance event uh, to get your way through to the finish line in good shape. Yeah, and I, I think there are very few endurance athletes particularly in that sort of middle ground who are um and by middle ground i mean sort of middle ground in terms of you know not being ultra ultra endurance yep. uh who, who don't ha take any carbohydrate at all you know even some of the athletes that we often mention who we know are very fat adapted and they follow mm. lchf strategies and they use ketones either you know ketone salts or ketone esters during their uh, events i know for a fact that a lot of them also use things like super starch as yep. a preload or they use um you know a little bit of superstar or other whole foods which are providing resi providing residual yeah. carbs throughout the event as well yeah absolutely i mean it's uh i mean i've put a few guys through rer testing uh, in the lab um and you know you look at the results that come out of that testing when you build uh the nutrition strategies for these guys when they're racing especially uh, you know, if you're out there racing a half Ironman, you're at, you're at a reasonably high intensity for, you know, let's say four and a half to five hours. Um, most of these guys are, are burning, or a lot of them are burning two grams of carbohydrate a minute. Wow. You know, uh, it, it, so there's an element in amongst all this of getting their day-to-day -day nutrition sorted so they can oxidize fat at higher intensities. Um, but I, I still believe, uh, and from experience, because I went through a round of testing myself, that I'd taken myself so far down the fat oxidation path that I, my ability to access uh, glycogen had become a little bit impaired. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, to maintain that higher intensity for me was, was not uh, out of the question, but I was... Um, I was m not mitigating my ability to access glycogen, but I wasn't as effective. Therefore, I, I couldn't use it as a fuel source as I would want. Um, so if you relate that back to these guys who may burn like two, two and a half grams a minute at the moment, well, if you can get them to even one and a half grams uh, at, at those tempo higher intensities of a half Ironman race, they, they still are going to require some carbohydrate somewhere to deliver them to the finish line. Exactly. That, that's interesting you say that, actually, because that's it's a similar number when I think about it to uh, Joe and I actually did some field research going back. Gee, I'm thinking it must be at least 15 years. We were doing some field research with 24-hour mountain bike races. Yeah. And we found that they were requiring, if because they weren't fat adapted athletes, they were requiring about 1.5 grams of carbohydrate per kilo of body weight per hour. So, you know, you equate yep. that to a 80 kilo athlete re requiring about 120 grams mm -hmm. of carbohydrate per hour. It's exactly the number that you just said. Mm -hmm. Hey, but I mean, the interesting thing here is, um, you know, where the, the role that gut training plays in the muscle <laughs> Um, so I'm going to go into a gut training block for myself 
pretty soon because uh, I'm just laying the foundation for next summer for myself. But I am going to uh, do a little bit of experimenting and gut training uh, for five or six weeks um, and uh, just try and see if I can get my gut to the point where I can clear sort of 120 to 150 grams of carbohydrate an hour. Um, which means I'm going to have to take a lot of fluid as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, I think a lot of people underestimate the uh, role that gut training has in amongst all this as well. And, I mean, the, the, uh, the question that I ask myself, I suppose, is um, where, where do you take the fueling uh, strategy side of things for an individual uh, in terms of the building the you know the best possible solution for them as an individual? Um, because uh, if you can put them through a gut training block, uh, which then amplifies their ability to process carbohydrates, um, that means they can, in theory. Um, utilize it as a fuel source through these half Ironman uh, type events uh, to get them to the finish line faster um, with a small tweak to their day-to-day -day nutrition to get them oxidizing fat at, uh, at higher intensity or for them the highest intensity they can. It's about finding that happy medium, yeah. you know. Uh, don't go so far down uh, the path of um, LCHF or ketogenic uh, for everybody or don't go so far down the path of keeping them on a high carb. There's, there's got to be some happy middle ground for most individuals in terms of a mixed fueling strategy uh, to get them to the finish line quicker than what they have done previously. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a super interesting thing um, you know that you're talking about here because really I think this is what it comes down to, particularly when you're working with athletes, is what works works, right? So if you can figure yeah. out what works, you've won. And I know that sounds yeah, yeah. sort of self-explanatory or, or a little right. bit ridiculous, but the same route is not going to be optimal for everyone. And a lot of that doesn't come down to physiology always. It comes down to how you can feel during an event, what you're prepared yeah. to take in, what your gut tolerance is, all these yeah. various things. Yeah, yeah. And if exactly. we become dogmatic about, you know, I'm in favor of high carb versus I'm in favor of low carb. Mm. And you know, you've got these sort of meaningless battles because at the end of the day, if you've got someone who's winning, then he's winning for, or he or she is winning for a reason. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah. it might be despite their nutrition, but it's probably not. They're probably, if people are at the very top level and winning world championships and things, it's seldom that they get to that point being completely oblivious to their nutritional requirements. And while that can be tweaked, um, you know, having a coach like yourself who can actually look at that stuff and and really help them to mix fuel, I think, is is pretty cool. And, you know, obviously one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today is to let people know that there are people out there like yourself doing this yeah. and that people can get support to, to do it as well. Yeah, and, you know, one of the interesting <clears throat> things in the most all this uh, for me has been actually convincing people to try. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? So, this is, I think this is one of the biggest battles in amongst all this a lot of the time is um, people want to uh, just take a pill and that's the answer. Yeah. Um, a, lot, a lot of people aren't, uh, or take some convincing to actually invest some time to trial this sort of stuff. Um, because what you're effectively saying is you might have to fail to get the answer. Exactly. You probably do, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, take me as an example, right? I mean, I know that uh, eight sachets of ketone in a bottle is not going to work because I can't drink it. <laughs> and the cool so, thing is you, you probably could have guessed that, but you had to give it a crack anyway, oh, right? <laughs> well, hey, look, I mean, uh, here's the flip side to it, right? If I'd managed to get eight sachets in and the super starch and the carbohydrate, I probably would have been on fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, exactly. And that's actually something I was thinking about before we uh, started chatting today. I actually read quite a lot and it's predominantly focused on mainstream people, but there's a lot of discussion around, you know, for example, if you take exogenous ketones, 
people are, are really worried about the effect of having mixed fuels in the body. You know, they're worried right. that if you have, you know, a carb containing diet and you're adding in ketones and things like that, there's all these sort of calamitous effects that people mm -hmm. talk about. And, you know, I don't even really want to talk about that because I, I don't think it's legit, but even if it is, it probably doesn't apply to athletes because, you know, one of the things that we're sort of talking around here without talking specifically to is that, as you've mentioned, if you're in a long event and you're going at a pretty good, you know, pretty good rate, you're going to be using a, a, a shitload of fuel and it, you're not going to have a problem yeah. with any top athlete of them being underfueled over a very long event. The, the key is they're going to, sorry, overfueled in a very long event. They're going to be underfueled regardless. So it's all about the efficiency of getting that fuel in, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, is the, this is part about the discussion, right? Because, um, I mean, and it's the interesting sort of uh, anecdote that you give athletes who, who might not necessarily have been in the sport for a long time. I mean, if you think about Ironman as an example, uh, you know, look guys, uh, the bike is where you have a really strong nutrition strategy uh, and set yourself up for the run, uh, you know, and at the start of the run, you, you don't run hard because um, you, you just need to control the intensity because uh, it's a marathon after all. Um, but you know what, uh, when, you, when you get to 10 or 15 came to the run or whatever it is, you put whatever you can into your body to get you to the finish line. I don't care what it is. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's fuel at the end of the day, right? That, that's that's what we're trying to get into the body. And if it's uh, ketones that help us uh, think and put one foot after the other, and if it's uh, you know carbohydrates and a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat that goes well for you, that helps you to actually move forward along with your hydration. So be it. Yeah. I think you people know? forget that we are extremely adaptive omnivores and we can deal, we should be able to deal with a lot of stuff. So that's, that's that whole idea of metabolic flexibility, metabolic efficiency. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, look, I mean, Matt, you touch on a really interesting point there around metabolic efficiency because, uh, you know, that's a real interest point of mine. Uh, and I think that, you know, the, uh, my philosophy on around metabolic efficiency is exactly that. It's about being able to utilize whatever you put into your body within reason, obviously, yeah. uh, to keep you moving forward. And, and, and for me, in an, in an endurance event, um, you know, like I, I'd love to get hold of, uh, some of the guys at the God Zone and stuff like that who, uh, pretty much sleep deprived have to move forward for five days in a row to get to the finish line in whatever conditions, um, you know, because they literally have to uh, put whatever they can into their body uh, to get them from A to B yeah. over like almost a week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, that experience is very similar to um, the, the work I've done with Special Forces uh, guys in the Army. Because we basically, even if they're not going to perform optimally, we want them to be performing as close to optimal as possible yeah. under extreme duress. You know, uh, sometimes they can't eat at all when they're out on exercise yeah. and they still need to keep on going. So I often yeah. have them, you know, doing three or four day fasts or even five day fasts yeah. and still training intensely through that. Initially, it's brutal, but they, they develop, you know, they adapt and they become pretty yeah. proficient at working at near maximal intensity or near, near maximal performance mm. i should say for long periods of time with basically no exogenous fuel yeah yeah and i mean this i mean you you, you jog my memory here i mean i when i traveled back from the uk i went through india and nepal with a couple of mates uh and one of the things we did was we thought oh Bugger it, you know, we're just going to get the bus to the end of the road and walk to base camp at Everest type thing because that's just what you did. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like you say, uh, I can tell you that uh, food, the higher you go up the mountain at Everest, gets bloody expensive because people are going to carry it up there. Um, and if you haven't got much cash swilling around in the pockets, you don't eat a great deal. Um, but you can still operate and go forward, like you say, on not a lot of uh, fuel. Um, 
you know, and you and I talk a lot about hydration. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, you get your hydration strategy um, right. Um, that, that goes a long way to supporting performance. And then you mix that with a uh, good solid nutrition strategy, um, but also being aware that you know uh, you have to be able to utilise whatever's there from a nutrition standpoint. Um, then then you're starting to get uh, some progress in terms of performance from for the individual. Yeah, mm. I mean that metabolic efficiency piece, mate, is just super interesting. You know. Yeah, and I think it's been conflated with just purely, you know, people being keto. And I don't think that's the point. I mean, I think that's almost contra to it because if people think the only way to be flexible is to never eat carbohydrate, then that's pretty um, conflicted with what we're actually saying there. You should be able to use all the fuels available, yeah. really. Oh, totally. And I think I think your point's really valid because uh, I think if you were for, if you're looking in from the outside, um, you would probably um, define metabolic efficiency as how much fat can you burn? Yeah. You know, um, so it is, I, I think it's a little bit misunderstood to be fair, um, you know, the, the whole metabolic efficiency piece um, because, yeah, it's not, it's not about how much fat you can burn per se, it's about you know, like you say, the substrates that you can use at certain times. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I guess it, it may or may not be in line with that, but what do you think are, first off, some of the biggest mistakes that endurance athletes make nowadays? Um, oh, look, I think probably they don't, uh, don't trial enough. Yeah. So, I mean, I, having been through it all myself, I think, you know, and if I reflect back on when I was racing um, way back when, I, I didn't trial enough. I just thought that uh, if I went out and I had my four gels an hour, that would be fine. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so I, I encourage people to, to try to trial stuff. You know, here's the, here's kind of the overarching goal that we're trying to achieve here um, in terms of fueling. Uh, you go out and you trial as much as you can under the right conditions. And, you know, if you're going to go for a, you're training for Ironman and you're out for a five-hour ride, well, here we go. This, I want you to try and get in 300 grams of carbohydrate for argument's sake. But how you actually get that is entirely up to you. Like, I want you to try different stuff. Mm. Um, gels, bars, super starch, um, rice cakes, whatever it is, banana, I don't know, just go and try it and understand what works or what you think works for you as an individual because uh, it's your body um, and you'll give solid uh, feedback in terms of how you feel on different fuels and whether you know you can stomach them or not. I can look at the other end and, and and uh, see the numbers, so I can tell from that. But I don't have your body, um, yeah. so get out there and trial stuff uh, would be the first thing I'd say. Um, I do also think uh, that hydration is uh, just such a massive implicator, and or can be a massive implicator in performance, especially for age groupers that are out there for a long time. Um, yeah. You know, I, I read a piece of research around, um, and uh, Gabriel Selassie, I think, was one of the um, one of the subjects from memory. Uh, he lost body weight over a two-hour fighting marathon, but they're, they're outliers. Uh, we, we're talking about age remains that are out exercise. Well, 14 hours. So they have to uh, have a really good uh, handle on hydrate. I think that goes along with that as well. So uh, I don't think people spend enough time understanding the, the hydration. Um, you know, and that can implicate as well because it forms part of the bigger picture, obviously, in terms of uh, fueling. Yeah. Um, so. Is that piece there, and I think uh, you know, not a lot of people um, 
actually do enough experimenting at uh, if they if they want to race well at race pace intensity. Um, because the harder you race, the less blood is going to the gut, obviously. Um, the harder it is to clear fuel. Um, so there's no point you trying to shove uh, bars down your throat if you're out there at high intensity, because the chances are you're not going to clear it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I mean, I, uh, a good mate of mine uh, who races Ironman pretty hard, um, just shoves 20 gels in a, in a bottle, you know, um, and, and that's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. he, he arrived at that because he did a bit of experimenting and figured out that that's what worked for him. So that, that's 400 grams of carbohydrate, thereabouts, yeah. four or 500 grams. Yeah. yeah. So he yeah, had to take a, a lot of extra water with that too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well, this is the interesting thing. I mean, there are outliers, again, where, um, you know, some people have the constitution to be able to process uh, that amount of fuel outside of the norm, if you like. Um, yeah. And, and again, if you, if you don't try, you don't know. Uh, but yeah, the chances are you've got to have a fair amount of hydration to uh, clear that amount of fuel. Um, but it comes back to this, you know, figuring out what works for you as the individual. Yeah. Because there's no rule book. <laughs> no, um, there, there isn't. I guess that that's the, you know, one of the key things that people can take home from, from this sort of chat is that value of self-experimentation and having the freedom, I guess, um, to yeah. be able to trial things have yep. a bit of fun you know be, be a bit have a bit of um a chance to play with what you're doing but in line with that i guess there's also um yeah there's, there's obviously people that you've you've learned from and you know maybe books that you are your sort of go-to resources what yep. are some of your sort of go-to resources now for um what you're doing with your coaching and what you're doing yourself uh well look i uh from a nutrition standpoint i yourself I mean, I, um, I I obviously enjoy our chats, and they they add an enormous amount of value to me. Um, I um, also have um, started talking to a couple of physiologists at high performance um, to just look at different approaches to training. Uh, so I'll be doing some experimenting myself um, in terms of my training with some a, diff a few different approaches there. So. I guess what I'm saying there is, um, you know, if you're looking for um, things to try, there's no harm in asking people because the worst they're going to say is no. The best they're going to say is, oh, yeah, try this, try that. Um, and, you know, I'm super interested in um, trying to tap into as many different resources as possible um, so in that respect, I mean, I don't necessarily um, push myself down one route. I try and um, look quite wide. Um, but one of the things I do do quite regularly, and anybody can do it, is I'll go on Google Scholar as an example and just uh, type in, um, you know, an interest for me. So it might be... Um, uh, gut training for endurance athletes or, um, yeah. you know, uh, sodium preloading um, for endurance athletes, whatever it might be, because there is a plethora of information available um, in terms of research that's been done um, and is being done at the moment um, just around nutrition um, and, tra and training as well, obviously. And you don't have to read the entire uh, case study, you can just skip to the conclusion a lot of the time and take a couple of sound bites out um, yeah. that, that do start the, the wheels spinning a little bit. Yeah. Um, but look, I think for me, so there's that avenue, obviously. Um, I've got some pretty good mates. I mean, uh, Bev McKinnon is, is fairly well known in the endurance uh, sphere as well. So, um, you know, he... Bit of a bit of a hacker himself. Yeah, yeah, he's a bit of a hacker as well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I do uh, look at um, guys within the field as well and just see what they're doing and trying um, just to develop ideas. But I think, you know, one of the real benefits 
coming out of the corporate uh, environment was that um, we encouraged uh, the business to look as far and wide as possible for improvement. Um, so this is one thing I would say is, um, you know, if you're an athlete or a coach or a scholar, you know, you're going to benefit um, more from just taking the blinkers off and looking outside. Um, and by that I mean, you know, I'm obviously coaching endurance sport, but I'll go and look at um, coaches in tennis or football or whatever else it might be just to see what they're doing. Um, and you may well stumble across um, some small gems that you can take away from uh, completely different sectors and apply them to what you're trying to achieve. Um, so it's a long way of answering your question, mate, and it didn't really um, give any specifics, but it's kind of like just go and have a look everywhere, you know. Absolutely, no, no, perfectly. Um, you know, what one thing that I I do just as a bit of an aside there is you mentioned um, you know, getting those getting on Google Scholar or the other yeah. databases and having a look at what just what's out there in your field. Yeah. I have Google Scholar alerts running all the time. So every right. day I get a little digest yeah. which has, you know, all those areas that I'm interested mm. in, just the mm. the key yeah. literature that's been published in the last couple of days. So it sort of allows yeah. me to stay on top and it's um mm. you know, it's just a bit of fun. But you, yeah. I really like that you're talking about things that are a little bit wider than just nutrition. And and just while we sort of finish off here, I wanted to, um, I wanted to know: Are there any other, you know, books or or resources, particularly books, I guess, that are your real go-to's that aren't in, say, health, nutrition, fitness, performance? Um, I and I can't remember the title off the top of my head. Um, so that's of no use whatsoever, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I, when I took redundancy from Lion, I was kind of uh, in between, and I didn't really know where to next, if I'm if I'm honest. Yeah. Uh, and so I'll actually flip to you the title of the book so you can put it in your show notes. Um, I read a I read a book. Um, it was basically about empowering decision making and moving forward, I suppose you could say. Um, and it was it wasn't a massive book. It was probably a hundred and fifty odd pages long, um, but it had some really uh, insightful uh, pieces in there, just in terms of how to move forward when you may be uh, stuck in a rut, the wrong sort of. Uh, Spin, I guess, but it just highlighted the need for um, positive thought, I guess, uh, first and foremost, and actually planning. Yeah. Um, you know, like um, I think that, that that's what a lot of people also uh, may not necessarily um, be so great at. And I mean, this is coming back to the literature piece for me. Uh, if you can, uh, it, you know, it's all about headspace. So um, if you are a glass half full type of person who um, is uh, working towards uh, a goal and remains positive, uh, then there's the that's the benefit. So that's the, the headspace piece. So from a literature point of view, I mean, I'd be encouraging people to. Uh, or apps or whatever it might be to look at uh, that whole mental side of the game because yeah. as, soon as, as soon as you're fit enough or you're strong enough, it's 80 or 90% mental. <laughs> Definitely. You know? Yeah. Uh, so there's that piece there in terms of literature that I would go to. <laughs> um, so that's the that's the um, headspace side of things. And then the planning side of things, like I, I read – I mean, I was a commercial director in my old life, so I, I used to read planning literature till it was coming out of my ears because I just am such a firm believer that uh, a strong planning uh, foundation and ability to plan will will be the cornerstone to success a lot of the time. Uh, you've got to be able to go with the flow, obviously, but being able to plan is key too. Um, so reading literature just around the different ways to plan and methodologies as well, I think is, is pretty important. Um, and then I just love autobiographies. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I think 
we've taken a lot from that. I, I really, you know, like I say, I appreciate your um, sort of business-minded approach to nutrition and coaching because I think that's something that's often lacking. And you sort of mm-hmm. summed it up in those last couple of sentences there about a lot of the things that you learned in the corporate world and a lot of the things you you read and absorbed and whatnot. I think they'll just naturally translate through what you're doing. And I think, um, you know, looking in from the, the outside, it seems like what you're doing with your athletes is, is really well organized. It's really structured. Um, you know, you obviously have that end in mind, but at the same time, there's the opportunity within it to to play and be creative and to to figure out what works for the athlete. And I mean, that's that's amazing. That's what a good coach should do. Yeah, I think, mate, like you say, uh, you know, we need to take this stuff seriously, obviously, because we're accountable to deliver a result. But uh, you've got to have fun doing this. You know, exactly. You got to enjoy it, whether you're the coach or the athlete. There's no point doing it. I think. That's right. Because we can make money doing other things, but we choose to do it this way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's our life. So, where, where, where can people find out um, about you and your coaching, Paul? Uh, well, look, I mean, if anyone's got any questions, they can flip me an email um, paul at elevate coaching.co.nz or they can go to the website www.elevate coaching.co.nz. So, I'll. Um, I'll flip you that for the show notes, uh, Cliff. But yeah, it'd be great to hear from people. And I'm look, I'm always keen to chat to different people and uh, you know have have different conversations and have a yarn about different ideas. It's it's what keeps us alive. So yeah. Awesome, Paul. Yeah, I, I mean, I highly recommend anyone listening to this uh, later on the podcast who is interested in mixed fueling and endurance athletes who want to figure out a little bit more about that, get in touch with Paul because, um, you know, as far as I can see, you're one of the few guys out there that's actually doing it and actually applying it both from the sort of N of one for yourself and then the N of X for your athletes as well. So (laughs) I'm super impressed and I'm really appreciative that you're on the show today, the the rebooted Cub Appropriate podcast. Uh, So thanks for being on, buddy. Cheers, mate. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Cool, mate. Cool. Cheers. Catch you soon. Cheers, mate. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. If you'd like to know more about what I do, go to cliffharvey.com. And remember, patrons get exclusive access to the live stream podcast. To sign up, go to patreon.com forward slash cliffharvey.